what's up, Serge? You guys doing good? All right, there we go. Oh, there you go. That's a compliment. All right, but, but honestly, I, I do love that I am here. Wednesday nights is one of my favorite nights of the week, and uh, I hope that you guys enjoy it well, because it's fun, I think, to be here together in community, um, and it's also, I think, a good time to step away from everything that's going on at school or sports and to have a moment to be with one another and honestly just to dive into what does God have for us um, as we walk in this life together. Um, so I, I played a game for the first time in college, and some of you have probably played it because I've heard rumblings of it, but it's a game called Hostage. Yeah. And uh, let me put a few things out there first. One, it's not kidnapping. Two, it's voluntary, meaning you play the game by your own will, and um, you drop them off in safe places. You don't put them in harm's way. But anyway, with this game, just for uh, clarity on how to, it, or ease, I split into teams of four. So you have two teams of four, and two people on one team, they're the hostages, Okay. The other person is the navigator. The other person is the driver. And what you do is you switch hostages, and then you have 10 minutes to jump in a car, blindfold their hostages, drive them around town and confuse them on where they're at, and then drop them off. Once they're dropped off, then now you are in search of your team and where they're at. And so the key is, is you can't use GPS. You can't use like Google Maps to figure out where you're at. You call and you try to describe your surroundings and what, you know, where you're at, evaluate where I may be in the city of Topeka, and then you communicate that to your friends. And so for some of us, you might be like, okay, that would freak me out. I'm not playing that game. For, for others, you might be, that's an adrenaline rush. That's fun. And then others of you might be indifferent, right? So but if, if we were to kind of take that kind of feeling and apply it to our life, if we had to evaluate where we're at in our life, or especially with where we're at in our relationship with God, we want to be sure where we're at when it comes to our standing and our relationship with God. And so this is the exact reason why John is writing to us. He's writing to, writing to believers so that we can know that we know we are in him, that we have a relationship um, with God. And so the whole purpose statement in John is that uh, we would know that we know we have eternal life, that we can have confidence that I am a child of God. And so um, really what I think this passage is going to do for us tonight, if we can be honest with ourselves and we can allow God's word to work in our lives, what it's going to be like, it's going to be like a mirror that reflects into our life and it's going to show us not only who we are, but whose we are. And it it will confront in some ways, but I think it'll be a reminder, and it'll also show you where am I truly at in my relationship with God. And that's what John wants to accomplish, and I know it's God's heart as well, that he doesn't want to leave us in the dark. He doesn't want us to just have to figure this thing out on our own, but he gives us his word um, to be a a lamp unto our feet, to show us how we are to live for him. Um, And so if you guys have a Bible or on your, your notes or on an app. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, 28 and 29, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And so I'm going to read the first section, and then we'll kind of walk through it if it sounds good. So starting verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. 
If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we shall be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. All right, um, and so the question that, I, that you guys need to think through is like, whose am I? Whose are you? And so as we dive back into verse 28, um, it says, and now little children. So he's just referring to those who are young in their faith. And, and last week, if you remember, Amy talked about what it meant, it meant to abide in Christ. What it means to abide in Christ is that I'm going to continue in Christ. I'm going to stay in Christ. I'm going to remain in Christ. I'm going to make my home in That's where my heart is going to rest. It's not going to rest in the things of this world. It's going to rest in Christ. And so there's a purpose to that. And he says, so that when he appears, we may not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So what he's saying is when he appears, do we know that Christ is going to come again? Yes, we do. That's what scripture tells us. He says he will come again. And it's not a matter if, it's a matter of when. And so... Um, not shrinking back in shame means is that my heart would not grow cold to the things of God, that I would not lose my way or lose my, my heart and my focus on him. And so earlier in chapter 2, it talked about being in the, in the world, um, but not of the world. And so part of that, of, of, of shrinking back in shame, would be that if, if Christ were to come today at, tonight at 10 o'clock, just saying hypothetically, if you were to come back at 10 o'clock tonight, like, would that freak you out? Would that make you nervous? Would that cause fear in you? Or would you be excited that he is coming again? Would you have confidence and be sure of where you are at? And so um, verse 29, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so do you know that he is righteous? Do you know that God is righteous? Earlier in John, he says that God is light. In him there is no darkness. Um, he is righteous, not me. Like, there's nothing in and of myself that I can bring to God, that I can present before him as, as worthy, but it's his righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness in me. And so he says that you can be sure that anyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So what does it mean to practice righteousness? Well, if you, like any sport, if I get up, if I'm going to practice and I'm taking, I'm taking swings at batting practice or I'm, I'm on the soccer field every single day, what you're kind of hinting at is that you're not there yet. You're not a, you're not a more than a professional athlete, right? So what you're doing is you're pursuing a goal. You're pursuing this lifestyle. You're pursuing because you're not yet there. And so as a Christian, we know that we're not yet who we want to be in Christ. And one day we, or we won't completely be who we want to be until we're with Jesus. So what it means to practice righteousness is, is that, um, that I would have a life that is devoted, pursuing God, is pursuing holiness. And what that means is that, that as I read and as I look over God's word, that I'm not merely just uh, storing it away as knowledge, but that I want his word to penetrate my heart so much so that it changes my life. And that if I, as I pursue righteousness, I'm cutting off the sin in my life. I'm cutting off the things that I once was, and now I'm pursuing this new life that God has given me. 
And so you can be sure if, we, if you practice righteousness, he's saying that's evidence that you know God. Because I can't practice righteousness if Christ is truly not in me. I can't do that in and of my own strength. And so he says, if you practice righteousness, if you're truly practicing righteousness, then you have been born from him. You have a relationship with God. And so um, he continues in verse 3. And I love this. I love this part, or chapter 3. Because right as he's thinking about that we have a relationship with God, John begins to get kind of like overwhelmed at the thought that I have a relationship with Jesus. And then he says, see. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we shall be called children of God. And it's not just to see. He takes it a step further. Actually, a more accurate representation of this is that we would behold Like we would take in the love of God, that it would not just be something that we see and observe, but it would be something that sinks so deep into our soul that it completely changes every motivation that we want, uh, every motivation that we have. And so this this see here is is to look upon the, the love of the Father that we shall be called his children. And this love is, is agape. That's the Greek word for this, this kind of love, which means that it's an unconditional, sacrificial love. A love that was moved to action. A love that, that went so far that knowing that uh, uh, we, the crea- a love that went so far that God created us, he created me, knowing that I would sin, that I would fall from him, that I would pursue darkness, but in his love he would pursue me, seek me out, send his sa- a savior, Jesus, to die on the cross for me and restore the relationship that I had broken with God. That's the kind of love that God would go to, to see that we would become his children. And so, um, what, what, what he means that, by we, that we become children of God, that's just simply adoption. So that's, that's talking about how we have been brought into the family of God. And so I kind of want, want to give us a picture of what we were like before um, we were adopted, what, 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 that, what this was saying before our adoption. Um, and so I'm not, like, I'm not adopted, but I'm sure there's a couple of, in, of you in here who are adopted like right now. Like you've had a family who has brought you in to be their own and has paid a cost to bring you in, right? And so and that might be a really close thing to your heart when you think about the adoption of God and how he has brought us in. But really, this is the story for all of us. If we're a believer in Jesus, if we have surrendered our life to him, and now he's our master, he's the one that we serve, then um, we know that our story is very much one that we have been adopted. Now, I'm a son. You're a daughter. Like, we have been brought into the family of God. And so, uh, to kind of paint a picture of what ancient Roman uh, adoption was like, it was really a sad epidemic. So at times in Roman, Roman history, um, uh, many children would be born, and then at birth, they would be evaluated. So like if, if the parents were hoping for a male but got a female, if they're hoping for a male, um, whatever, I, I, can't, I got that confused. Um, yes, thank you. So... Or it was a baby that had a defect, right? Like something was wrong with it. Or maybe the parents just didn't want the responsibility of having a child. They would reject that child and disown them. So they would take that child and literally place them on the streets to be left to die or to be adopted by someone else. 
And so this is the picture that we have of our Heavenly Father that when I was in darkness, when I was disowned and rejected, when I was in my own sin, when I was going my own way, our Heavenly Father came to our rescue, sought us out in His love, chose us, and brought us into the family of God. Not because of anything that I had to do, but simply because of His grace. Simply because of His love. So see, look, Behold what kind of love the Father has for us that he would take us in and that he would adopt us into his family. Like that's, that's no light thing. That's awesome that God would do that kind of thing for us because we did not earn it. There's nothing we could do to earn that kind of love. And so God took us in and sought us out, chose us, and made us children of him. And so the only thing, the only part that we took in our adoption in, uh, our adoption was that uh, our acknowledgement that I have a need, that I have sinned, that I have fallen short, and I am in desperate need of a Savior. That's the only part that we play in it. And so um, I love what uh, Psalms 34 says. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And then verse 22 says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. Um, None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Like, this is crazy. That, like, we don't have to bring anything before God. We're not pre-qualified in any sort of way. But he just says, if you have a broken heart, if you're broken over your sin, recognizing that it has separated you from a heavenly father, then he will welcome you. In your time of need, you will not be put to shame, but he will welcome you into his family. And so God has called us and made us a son or a daughter. And so if that is true of us, if we have surrendered our life to Christ, if we have given our life to Christ, here's the promise that he gives us. The promise is we have a new identity. And so if you are adopted, you've been set free from sin. You've been set free from the power of sin. And so the sin in your life, you're no longer defined by that sin. You are no longer defined by the things of of your past or the things or the mistakes that you've made. You're defined by Christ and what he has accomplished for you on the cross. So going back to um, Roman times, like if if someone came and adopted you into your family, it it was as if you're cutting all ties and obligations to that old family. And so there were four main changes that occurred in our adoption. And the first one was it was a change of family. So you're, no longer do you belong to this world, meaning that you're pursuing your own desires, that you're walking in darkness. Now you belong to the family of God. Like you are his child. You are his son or daughter. The second thing is a change of name. He gave us a new name. No longer you are identified as a sinner. You are identified as a son or a daughter. And then the third thing is um, a change of home. And no longer are you bound for destruction. And if I can say it, bound for hell. But now you are, your home is in Christ. Your home will be with him forever. Like we can have eternal security because of our adoption. We don't have to wonder or ask the question, um, if I have been adopted, if I am a child of God, will I ever lose some of my salvation? No, that's not the case. Because he, he holds us, he keeps us, 
And then the last thing that, that it says is that we have a change of responsibility. And so what we talked about earlier was this pursuit of righteousness. The change of responsibility is I'm no longer pursuing the things of the world and my flesh and my sin, but now I'm pursuing righteousness and holiness. And my responsibility now is to live for Jesus and, and to be approved by him and not by man. And so those are the four main changes that he has given us. And then also when we're adopted into his family, we, we receive the benefits of the firstborn son. So in scripture, the Bible tells us that we receive every spiritual blessing in Christ, that we are lacking nothing, that he gives us everything that we need, and that he gives us every right that, 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 we ha- that, that Christ has, we receive that same right. And so... Um, <laughs> Man, going back, like, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Like, behold, like, look, do you know him? Do you know this kind of love? Because it's crazy that he would bring us in and he would adopt us into his family. And I love, I love the, last, the last part here where there's like a colon and then it says, and so we are. And so we are. And so if, we're, if we are a child of God, we are permanently brought into the family of God. And so when, when we ask the question, like, can I be sure about my salvation? Yes. And there's going to be some, some things in our life that give evidence to that salvation, but we can be sure that once we are part of the family of God, he will never forsake us, he will never leave us, he will never disown us, or anything like that. He is a good father who will keep and protect us. But it also comes with the responsibility and so um, I love what John uh, chapter 1 verse 12 says, but to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that right uh, will not be, be taken away. And so we can be sure that when we're his child, God sets his seal in us, meaning that his Holy Spirit comes to live within me. And that's God's stamp of approval upon our life. That's his seal within us. And then no longer am I wanting or motivate, do I desire or want to live for the things of the world? Now I want to live for Jesus. Like he's completely redirected and turned my life around. And so see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we shall be called the children of God. And so it's also a call to remember. For those of us who are in Christ, who those who believe, we're to remember that kind of love that God has made us his children. And so... Uh, continuing on in verse, uh, verse 2, he says, Beloved, uh, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so this is an, this is an awesome verse, because he's stating the fact that we are God's children. We just said, and so we are. Like, that's not just a wishful thinking. That's, that's fact. That's a reality in our life. And he's saying, this is who we are. And we can rest in, I even find comfort in, that I'm not who I ultimately want to be in Christ. And I hope that as I stand here today, that I will not be the same Ryan as I will be a year from now. Like, I hope I look more like Jesus a year from now. And this is what he's saying. Like, we, we're not who we want to be yet. Um, but we shall continue to be like him. So this is referencing to like Romans 8, that, that um, everything that, that happens, that God brings into our life or what, whatever goes on, is, is ultimately so that we can look more like Jesus, so that we can become like him. 
Um, and so one day, we'll ultimately, as it says, we shall see him as he is. Meaning, like, we'll be able to see Jesus in heaven as he is. I won't have to worry about having impure thoughts. I won't have to worry about temptation. I won't have to worry about hurting a brother or a sister. Like, I'll be sinless and I'll, I'll, because I'm in heaven and I'm in the presence of Jesus. And so then he continues on in verse 3 and says, Anyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so this is just reiterating, my hope is not in me. My hope is not that, that I would work to self-improvement, climb this ladder of, of, of being the best Christian or um, of looking right on the outside, but that my hope would ultimately be in Jesus who would then purify me because he is the one who is pure. And so what this verse is really getting at is that I would take in- intentional steps towards holiness, that I have the responsibility to take intentional steps towards holiness. So what does that look like? Well, that, that looks like being in God's word daily, reading scripture. That, that looks like coming, coming here and coming to church and not just letting it um, be something that, that you hear, but be something that transforms our lives. And so we need to take intentional steps towards holiness, towards becoming pure. All right. So verses 4 through 9, I'll read them, and then we'll, we'll kind of explain through it. So he says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one abides in him and keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one, ha- no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. All right, and if I'm, I'm honest, if I read that, that like, smacks me like right between the eyes like that is that that is clear sometimes it's not always what I want to hear but but if I am a true child of God these things um, should not be true it should not be true that I continue to walk in sin that I continue to live in sin because as we saw earlier we have if we have a pursuit of righteousness meaning that 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 I'm taking intentional steps and that um that I'm pursuing holiness, this is the opposite of that. And let me just say a few things. Like this, this is not saying if, if I struggle with sin or I'm tempted in sin um, that, that, um, that you are not of him, right? I struggle, I'm tempted with sin, but I can't be okay with it. I can't be okay with it. I have to confess that and repent from that. And what this isn't saying that, okay, if I'm a Christian, I don't struggle with sin. That's a lie. Right? We know that. Like we do. And it says earlier in John, if, if you think that you don't have, um, or if you think that I don't struggle with sin, you probably don't know God as much as you think you do, right? So those are the things that it's not saying. But verse 4 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So lawlessness is just like defiant rebellion of God's moral law. It's saying that, hey, God has made clear to me what is the path of life through his word. He's given me his commandments and that to turn, to turn against those 
and, and then to follow my own way, that, that, is, that, that is sin. And so um, I love verse 5. Because it says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Like, Jesus came the first time to deal with sin. He came to make a way. He came to address our greatest need. And that was to, to provide a way for us to restore our relationship with God. Not ultimately, ultimately so we could have a relationship with him, but, but also so that I would turn and trust him, and that I would be pursuing him and not the ways of this world. And so verse 6 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And so this is just again stating that, like, I cannot continue uh, to live in sin. And this isn't meant to heap shame or to bring guilt uh, upon you, but this is just saying, like, these are some things that should be true. These are some evidence or, or clues or measuring rod, if you want to say, that um, if we are in Christ, I cannot continue to be in sin. I cannot continue to live in sin. I, I have to forsake that sin, cut it off, and pursue righteousness. Um, so just kind of give you a story that, um, to maybe help illustrate this a little bit, a little bit better. So I love to cook um, chicken, or I love to barbecue. And uh, so the other night, I was going up to uh, barbecue some chicken, and I open up the grill. And I look in, and something doesn't look right. Okay? There are mouse turds all over it. All over it. Okay? I did not continue to grill. I stopped. I was like, I'm not about to cook chicken on this grill because there is mouse droppings everywhere on it, right? And so I quit. I haven't grilled since. And then the next step that I took is I, I declared all-out war against the mice, okay? So I set up traps everywhere. I even put honey butter on a trap thinking that that would get a mouse. I haven't got one yet. So, but I put traps everywhere, and, I, and I'm determined to make sure that they're gone before I continue to grill again. And so, uh, in the same way, I can't, I can't know what I know about that the mice have been there, that they've uh, done their business on my grill, and continue to be okay with that. I could cook my chicken on that, but you would say, you're crazy, right? And so the mice, try, they might try to come back, but I should never be okay that they're, that they're doing that. Like, I need to, I need to, I need to try to get them out and, and do away with them, right? Well, in the same way, I can't know what I know about the Father's love that he has transformed my life, that he has made me a child, and, and be okay with living in this pattern of sin. I, I can't be okay with that. That's the reality. Because if I am, if I'm continuing this direction, that I'm totally okay with it, then I may not know him. That's the harsh reality of that. But you can be sure that if you're pursuing righteousness, that, that if God is your delight, if he is your motivation, that, that he has changed your heart and that you're pursuing now this new nature, this new life, and you're pursuing holiness and righteousness, you can be sure that you do um, know him. And so verse 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. So he says, Don't believe the lies. And, and this happens a lot that we say like, hey, hey, do the Christian thing, go to church, look, look good, do all this stuff. But, um, you know, over here, you can continue to live this way. You, can, you don't have to be a Christian and, and put, uh, put to death the sin in your life. 
He's saying, no, don't believe that lie. That's not true. I should never be okay with my sin. I should be confessing and turning away from it. And so how, what's our way out? How, like, I experience temptation. I feel like I experience temptation all the time. All the time. What's our way out? And um, I think 1 Corinthians 10, 13 helps us a lot with this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the, tempta- with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so there's no temptation that is too strong for you. Actually, God is so faithful that he has given you a way out. And so a way out could be um, texting a friend, could be texting or calling a leader. A way out is, is going to God's word and hiding God's word in your heart so you're not uh, m- more likely to, to actually go in that way of sin, that you're more likely to put that behind you and run towards righteousness. A, a way out um, could be at, at that moment praying and asking for God's strength to help you in those moments. And so God has provided a way out for us. And so we can, we can resist that. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but we can do it through the work of God's Holy Spirit within us. And then he says, um, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practices, practice of sinning is the devil, and the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason God, the Son of God, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot sin in. All right, God's seed that abides in us, that's his Holy Spirit. That's God's word. That's what he had, that's that stamp of approval in our life. That's God's seed working through us. Is now that um, it's his love and what he has done for us that compels us to want to live for him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.14 says. It's for the love of Christ that compels me. It's what moves me to want to live for him. And he says, we cannot keep on sinning. I have to forsake the sin in my life. And so here's, here's kind of the, the, the wrap-up verse, if you want to say. And that's verse 10. And it says, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the, excuse me, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so our lives are evidence, um, our lives are evidence that we are children of God. Like, the, like our li- we will be known by our fruit. We will be known by what we pursue, what we give our life to. And so, yes, I, like, like this is the promise. This is the heart of this passage, is that if we're a believer, that we would look that we would see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we shall be called his children. And that, that love changes uh, us. So that it means that we no longer um, are of our old self. We have a new self. We have a new beginning. And that love compels us to want to live for him, to forsake that sin in my life, to resist temptation, to go to his word, and to have it be uh, planted in my heart that I would be able to live um, for him. And so... Um, really for, for the believer, it's a reminder. This passage, the heart of this passage is to remember God's love, that we, would be, that we are called his children, that we have been adopted. And then if you're not a believer, like this, it, it, it might be alarming. But that same love 
is offered to you. God may be knocking on the door of your heart and inviting you to come and be a son or daughter of him. And his love is near. His love is close. And he is in pursuit of you and seeking you out. And so the last thing that I kind of have, because as I was like studying this passage and just thinking through it, I couldn't, couldn't get this scene out of my mind. So please tell me you guys have seen The Lion King. Okay. All right. Thank goodness. So anyways, The Lion King, right? So some things happened in Simba's life. Mufasa died, and then Scar and the hyenas took over the land. It was kind of like darkness coming over, right? Well, well Simba is, is, is pushed out, and he, and he begins to live this life of, with Timon and Pumbaa that there isn't no worries, right? And he forgets his identity. He forgets who he, who he is. But towards the end of the movie, he begins to be reminded of, uh, begins to be reminded of kind of what's going back on in the pride land. And then eventually he meets Rafiki, the crazy monkey, right? And he slaps him upon the head. And then he goes, I know your father. I know your father. And he goes, you do? He's like, yeah. And, and so then, they, then uh, Rafiki takes off and then they start running through um, a whole bunch of this brush. And they get to the edge of, edge of, a wa- of the water. And, and Rafiki says, here, take a look. And so Simba intently walks up to the edge of the water, looks down over and hoping to see his father, he sees his own reflection. And, it, and it being disappointed and kind of discouraged, he says, he, says uh, he goes, it's just me. But he says, no, look harder. He lives in you. He lives in you. And he looks again and he sees his, he sees his father. And so the reminder is here is that we would understand, that we would know that, the, that our father lives in us and that he has demonstrated our love for us. Because at the end of the movie, you guys remember the clouds that start rolling in? And, and Mufasa goes, remember who you are. Right? He says it like three times. Remember who you are. Well, the heart of this passage is that we would see that we would know, that we would behold, that we would remember the love of God, that he would invite us, that he would seek us out, that he would adopt us into the family of God. And so I don't know about you, but I have a lot of times I need that refresher. I need that refresher to remember God's love that would compel me to live for him. And, uh, it, and if, if you don't have a relationship with God, that love is near. Like that same, like Jesus died on the cross for you as well. And he's asking you and inviting you to be a part of his family. And so his love will move us um, to want to live for him. All right. You guys pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your love. God, I pray that we would uh, not just see, we would not just behold, but that we would truly know um, your love. God, that we have been adopted, that we are your children. And God, from our adoption, we no longer want to live or desire to live for ourselves, but we desire to live for you because your love is so great. And God, I pray that if there's someone in this room, God, who um, you may be knocking on their heart, you may be stirring something up within them. Lord, if they do not know you, I pray that they would surrender to you. God, that they would uh, uh, just say, they proclaim in their heart that you are their Lord and Savior. And God, I ask that they would, uh, God, just forsake their sin and place their trust in you. God, because your love is so great. 
And God, we thank you for uh, that reminder. We thank you for your word um, that, that we can know whose we are and we can be confident in our adoption um, in you. And God, it's in these things that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to get a small group now, but let me just challenge you with this, that...